continuing in our walk through the book of Joshua. Today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. But before we get there, we want to talk a little bit of review, because you know me, I love to do a little review, make sure we're all up to speed. We're going to be, last week we talked about verses between 2, 4, and all the way from, actually from 4, 5, and 6 last week. And in that study, what we did was we looked at Rahab, and we looked at Rahab, and then we also looked at the spies. And what we saw was the aspect of the fact that she received them into her home, she brought them into her house, she put them up on her roof, which her roof was actually, her room, her house was built into the walls of Jericho. And we know the reason why she did this was to keep them out of the hands of the wicked king the king of Jericho, a picture of Satan, taking a huge risk. But what she saw was in these two men, these were her only hope. She was like, man, you know what? There's one chance because she knew what was coming. She knew of the impending destruction. So what last week we did was he looked at two aspects of her behavior, her actions. We looked at, first of all, her protection of the spies, her protection of the spies. And what happened was, as I said, she saw these men, she defended them, she protected them because she saw them as representatives of God. And what was awesome is the fact that while she's protecting them, while she's intervening for them, in fact, she's in reality intervening for her own family because we'll come to find out that that's actually the impetus of why she'll survive and no one else will survive. And so what we see here is the interesting part about this is the fact that if we go back and think about it, realize at this point in time she has not received any kind of sworn loyalty from these men. She is acting solely on faith. They haven't said, hey, you know what? If you let us in, we'll keep you safe. Not a word of that. That's going to come. But as of right now, she has no assurance of anything. She's simply acting on faith. Then we looked at her deception for the spies. Her deception for the spies. And what we looked at there was the fact of how God viewed her dishonesty. How God saw it for what it was. And what we also understood was the fact that she feared God. And also at the same time, she had a desire to serve God. But she didn't really understand how to do it. So you put her into a high-stakes situation that's really scary and overwhelming emotionally. What happens? She falls back on what she knows. She lies. And we also saw the fact that God used that lie and integrated it into his plan, which took us to Romans 8.28, which is where the title of the message came from. That verse says this, And we know all things work to good. All things work together for good for those that, them that love God that are called according to his purpose. So we saw that aspect, and that message was called All Things Work Together for Good. And we saw how God integrated his plan. A bad situation, and good situations in our lives. And how God can use them for his glory, for his mission, what it is he's trying to achieve. And what we found out last week and as we looked at it was the fact that God's mission was Rahab. God's mission for this place was to save her. And this realization allowed us to realize how far God's willing to go to reach those that fear him, someone that's seeking him. And that made us look at our own life, how far God came for us, what our story was prior to coming to the Lord, how many years we lived or what God did to bring us to that point. And also the realization of how what the lengths that he went to in his life to come to live a life of humility, live a life of sacrifice and to ultimately give his life, not for himself, but for us. So with that incredible picture. So we saw this and we realized the fact that, you know, here's this, this image of the unmatchable, immeasurable love of God expressed in Jesus Christ and what he's willing to do for us. And what's so cool about it, if you think about the Romans, uh, Romans 5 verse 8, it says this, but God commendeth his love. That word commendeth is an old English word that means proved. God proved his love toward us. It says in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the really key part about it is where he says this, in that while we were yet sinners. He's saying, in the midst of our sin, right in the middle of our sin, he saw it, yet he loved us right there in the depths of it, in the worst of it, and yet he still came and he still died for us, God loving us when we do not deserve it. So understanding this, we realize the fact that, guess what? At one point in time in our lives, we were the Rahabs of the world. We were those that were seeking God. And praise the Lord, but God, He intervened. So as we pick up back up in the story this morning, what we're going to be doing is actually looking and paying attention to the underlying forces that are taking place in this interaction. We're going to be looking at her interaction with the soldiers, but also the interaction of Rahab with God. Okay, so as we're doing this this morning, this message is called Deception versus Truth. Deception versus truth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this time when we can gather around the Word of God. Lord, thank you so much for how you've spoken to me. Lord, this is one of those messages, uh, Lord, that when I sat down and read the Scripture, I was like, I'm not sure where this is supposed to go. Uh, and after hours of study, Lord, and writing notes and making, uh, writing things off to the side, you finally just said, oh, no, no, here it is. And uh, Lord, thank you so much. 
for that insight to show us, Lord, what is it we need to hear? Uh, God, I know that you've spoken to me, and I would ask, Lord, that now you would speak through me. Lord, that the words that I share would not be the ones that I will choose. Lord, help me if there's something I'm going to intervene or, or say, God, today, please hold my tongue. Help me, Lord, to speak as led by the Spirit, uh, that we might hear from you. I don't want to hear from me. No one else does either. Lord, help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning, as we do this, remember, this is right after the city's been locked down, right? She said, as the doors were closing, that's what she said. So now we know the city's locked down. And we imagine this is the last thing that they heard from Rahab. This is what she said to them in verse number 5. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out whither the men went, went I what not, pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. So in response to what she's just said to them, the soldiers, these kings, these king's men, what do they do? They react. Verse, verses 7 through 9. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up and unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. So we see here, first of all, the, the aspect of these men. Now, I want you to imagine sort of the scene, okay? It's nighttime. Here's Jericho, this bustling city. And everybody's watching what's taking place. These soldiers are rushing around. They're running towards the gate. They see these men all go rushing out the door, and then, boom, the doors have been opened, which they've been shut for the night, but now they shut again. So everybody's like, what's going on? There's probably confusion in the city. There's a lot of this worry and fear, because guess what? That fear that they've been feeling, that's been for 40 years. They've been knowing this coming weight, as God said he was going to send his fear into the city. Remember, we look back in Exodus 23, and what did it say back there? He said, I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And what we're going to find out as we go next week, we're actually going to get to a point in time where we're going to hear from Rahab all that she knows and all that's been going on, and we're going to kind of hear the heart of the people through her. But that's for, for next week. We're not going to get there today. But as we look at this, one of the things that we find out is that as this fear is being sent, what God was telling them the whole time is, you know, hey, this battle's not yours. This battle's already won. All you have to do is show up. And see, that's something that all of us as Christians need to remember. When we go into the battles of this life, guess what? They're not our battles. God brings the victory. We don't bring the victory. We don't bring anything to the plate except for what can potentially go wrong because we get involved. Who's ever allowed your emotions to get a hold of a situation and been like, man, I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah. That was a mistake. Boy, that, <laughs> that took a hard right when I didn't want it to. And boy, oh boy, I got some recovering to do. But what will happen is God can work in the heart of people many times and we can't. And so in these interactions, we've got to learn how to trust the Lord. What did David say when he faced off against Goliath? He says, the battle is the Lord's, he says. Look, man, hey, this isn't my fight. This is God's fight. So we understand this. Now, there's a message in that altogether, but we're not going to get to it today. What we're going to look at is the fact that as we pick up here in verse 7, what's happened is this is in response to Rahab. So this tells us something really important about Rahab. Rahab is a super convincing liar. <laughs> She's good. There's no doubt about it. Because remember what they had been told. Remember in Joshua 2.3, the king sent them. They were the king's men sent by the king. The king had received intelligence from someone who had observed, observed Rahab. Listen to this in verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee. He says, Look, we saw them. We saw you meet with them, which are entered into thine house. Not only did we see you meet with them, but we have records of them. you, were, you bringing them into your home. So these guys know this information. They were sent. Hey, go see her. Talk to her. Because not only did she meet these spies, but she's got them in her house. Yes, sir. We're on the way. Bum, 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 bum. Rahab, 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 right? They disregard the intelligence altogether. They don't go, no, no, no. We need to search the house. We have word that she came in, that they actually came in. No. They buy the story lock, stock, and barrel. I don't have any idea where that expression comes from, but I... You know what I'm talking about. If anybody figures that out, send me a Google on that or send me a text. Let me know what that means. But we know that bottom line of where it came from. But man, they totally buy it. They absolutely buy it. They don't question her at all. We see that they immediately respond. And the first thing this brings to, brings to us, or brings to our recognition of the fact in this message is this, the power of deception. The power of deception. What does it do? The danger of following, or the, the, the dangerous power of perception of, de of deception is following a lie, right? Following a lie. She gives them a lie, they bite, and they're off to the races, right? So Rahab, 
All they're going on is simply her word. They have nothing. They have no facts. Every fact they had does not line up with her story, but it doesn't make a bit of difference because they trust her. They follow the lie. So first of all, if we break this down, in following a lie, it's going to actually do three different things in that lie. What happens to these men is, first of all, they establish their trust in it. When you and I are going to interact with a lie, we're going to establish trust in that lie. Because guess what? A lie only has power if it's believed. Right? Somebody tells you something that's not true, you're like, whatever. It doesn't impact you at all. But if they tell you and you go, oh, that might be true, guess what? It just got some ground. They disregard all the additional facts that they have and they completely trust the lie. And what's interesting is most effective lies have a kernel of truth in them. Okay? So what happens with Rahab? They go to her and she says, okay, yeah, I did meet with them. Yeah, they were here, but I mean, I don't know who they were. And I don't know where they went. In fact, I think I saw them slip out the door. So it starts with a little bit of truth, and then she builds a lie around it. Now, as we understand this to be the case, putting their faith in the lie will ultimately lead. We find that it's going to lead to their destruction in the long run. That's we know that. But what also fact is we looked at this uh, and comparing the impact that this lie has on them. What we're going to do today is we're going to contrast and compare it to the way lies impact us. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to actually examine the origins of deception, where it all gets started. Ultimately, the only deception that's really important is this one, the attack on God's Word. Because there is only one absolute truth, right? So if there's one absolute truth, anything outside of that absolute truth is a deception. Now, so what we're going to do today, understand the Bible says in Romans 3, 4, it says, you know, uh, it says, let God be true and every man a liar. Right? So establish our truth is in the Lord. And understand, the devil's attack, Satan's attack on us, it's always rooted in one thing, an attack on the Word of God. Okay? And if we go back into history and we look at where it all starts, when we go to Eve and we consider the fact that he didn't, God did not attack, or Satan did not attack God's power, he didn't attack God's position. No. He actually keeps that part of the truth. You know who God is. Oh, yeah, Eve, you know who God is. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. Let me see. He starts to question his words. His attack is not on God, but his attack is on God's words. He didn't give Eve a new truth. He just gave her a twisted truth. Right? He takes the truth and he changes it ever so slightly. A counterfeit. Right? When you make a counterfeit bill, you don't create your own currency and go, hey, that's a 20. No. You make it look just like, as close as you can, but it's ever so slightly different, right? And that's the way this thing works. The attack on God's Word is always subtle. It's always subtle. Remember, there's Christ and there's Antichrist. He looks like Christ. He acts like Christ. He speaks like Christ. Yet he's not Christ. And so what happens is the devil's always working against, as we'll see with Eve, but also against all of humanity to twist and hide God's truth right in his Word. And he starts off, first of all, by doing this by questioning God's Word. He first questions God's Word. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 4. The very first lie. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord hath, hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He questions right away. The very first thing he does, doesn't trust God's Word, he questions God's Word. Then what the next thing he's going to do, he's going to contradict God's Word. Verses 2 through 4. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the tree, of the, eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. That's an add in from her. Um, but this, and the Bible says this in verse 4 And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. So, first, what is he going to do? He's going to question the word of God, and then he's going to contradict the word of God. All those other things are true, but there's just one little factor that's going to be changed. Based upon the subtle temptations, he's going to introduce his lie. And guess what? The rest is history. Our history, in fact. But the same way that Rahab's lie will impact these soldiers to their destruction, because what happens, she introduced confusion. And when she introduced confusion, because look, they had one story that they arrived with. The soldiers met with her, and they're in her house. She says, oh, no, no, that's not true. So they don't know what to do. They're like, their two stories don't match up. So now confusion's introduced. And we notice this, right? God's not the author of confusion. Right? And in that verse, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, what's interesting about that verse, it says, he says, but of peace. Not of confusion, 
but of peace. Peace comes with truth, which is awesome. So here we see this. They believe the lie. They believe the lie. And what happens when we trust and believe a lie and confusion is the fact that ultimately, people that believe lies, it will ultimately lead to destruction. It can be by complete and total separation from God, or it can be a destroyed testimony as somebody believes something that's not accurate. So if we look at, first of all, the questioning of the Word of God, what we're going to see here is the fact that this is where the devil's constantly trying to downplay the importance of Scripture and also downplay the application of Scripture. The fact that the Bible is not that important. In this day and age, we don't need the Bible. Those are old antiquated stories. They don't apply to today. And when we certainly don't need to follow and use that as our guide, I mean, look at our culture. So many things have been accepted. Look how happy people are together. Can we not just accept them? Can we not just blend in with everybody else? But what's amazing is the fact that our culture today, we have greater access to the true Word of God than at any other point in time, ever. If you have access to the Internet, I don't care where you are on the planet, guess what? You can get a Bible. You have access to the Word of God, where for years and years and years and years, there was virtually none at all. But what happens is, even though we have great access to it, people don't value it, and they certainly don't apply it. They don't live their lives based upon biblical principles. They live their lives based upon their flesh. But what happens is, as people are seeking truth, because there are people seeking truth, there are the Rahabs that are out there. They, we were them at one point in time in our lives. But what's interesting is the fact that as we seek truth, real truth, understand real truth is contrary to the flesh. It confronts our flesh. It's difficult sometimes to read the Word of God because it confronts us. So what happens? What does the devil do? He creates a counterfeit that doesn't quite confront the flesh quite as hard. It kind of blends in and meshes with the flesh. So it's sort of a nice, kind of a comfortable way to receive something that doesn't necessarily make me feel uncomfortable. And how does he do this? And he's counterfeit. They'll be found, counterfeit will found in three different ways. There's probably some more, but these are the three that God gave me to break down today. First in false teaching. False teaching. Now, this is going to be those that purposely or out of ignorance teach something that is not proper. It's not biblical. Now, let's, I'm, going to, we're going to, I'm going to read you a list of warnings. Okay, so we're going to have a warning from Paul, from John, from Jude, and from Peter. Listen to these warnings about false teachers. 1 John 4 1 says this, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, meaning that there are others, there are spirits that are not of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. Listen to this. He's knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. Do you hear that? Destitute of the truth. They do not hold the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness, thinking that because they're blessed on this earth and they have physical gain that somehow God's blessing them. He's going, no, no, that's not it. That's not what this is about. You can be, you can be uh, lured or you can be uh, seduced by success in this world, this whole prosperity gospel. From such withdraw thyself. Jude 1.4 For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Peter 2.1, But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be, listen to this, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Listen, man, this is a warning from the first century. This is the 21st century. Can you imagine how many more false teachers and how much false doctrine is out there today? It is unbelievable. If you go search on the internet, you just type in a question, buckle up for what you're going to receive. Make sure you use your Bible to figure out if it's right or not because most times it is completely inaccurate. Remember what Jesus told us last week as we were listening to Jesus confronting those that were religious but that weren't saved. What did he say in 7.15, Matthew 7.15? Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. He says, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They look the part, but they're not. So there are billions of people on the earth right now that are trusting in their religion, not in a relationship. They are serving God through religious ceremonies, supernatural experiences or religious works. And what we find is the fact that they're stealing in these, in these situations, they're stealing glory from God. 
They're making it about themselves. And in stealing from glory. So here's the name above all names that should receive ultimate glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet what happens is, in these experiences and in these things, the person starts to rise. And God loses His importance. So we see here, first of all, this, the, the, the devil contradicts God's Word through his deceptions, through false teachings, but then also through distorted translations. Okay, Distorted translations. As of right now, there are over 450 English translations of the Bible in circulation. 450 different ones. To copyright a Bible, you've got to be 10% different from one that already exists. Just to give you an idea of a frame of reference. Now, how can they all be the Word of God? How does that happen? Think about this. I want you to imagine you've got a life experience that happened in your life. And you want to relay it to everyone. And you go and you study, you write, and you write everything that you, you, want, to, you want to share this experience. And you labor over every single word because you're the one that experienced only you understands it. And man, you pour your heart into this thing. And every single word, every dot, every tittle, you care about every single word. You make it exactly what you want. And when you're finished with it, you're like, okay, that's me. You want to know me? This is me. When people start reading it. And it starts to get popular. But then I get a copy of it. And I'm like, man, that's a great story, dude. I love that story. I got to copy this story and I'm going to get it out there too. But when I copy it, I, I'm like, you know what? I'm not really sure I like this word here. And I just change one word. Or I just drop out a word here or a word there. Just to make it easier for me to follow. And then when someone goes and reads it, are they, are they hearing your story anymore? No. It's no longer your heart being displayed. It's now been distorted. Maybe not completely, but just a little bit. How does a counterfeit work? It's really close to the original, but it's changed ever so slightly. And this is what is, the Bible says this in Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. Listen to this. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Why is it purified seven times? Because seven times is the word of the number of perfection. So God says, look, my word is perfect. It's exactly when you finish your story and you said, that's it. That's my story. I'm done. It's it. That's what God says. You know what? My word, I've purified it. I've perfected it. It's exactly what I want. Here it is. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Notice it doesn't say word. It says words. Not the general concept. Not the ideas. But the specific words. Guys, this is the reason. And you guys, some of you say, hey, Pastor, why do you use the King James Bible? Man, I, my firm belief is this is the only Bible. And everything I've researched, a King James Bible is the only Bible I can track back to Antioch. The received text, the Texas Receptus is what it's called. All the parts and pieces of things were in circulation by the people, the Christians who were on the ground using the Word of God and passing it from person to person. That's where that Texas Receptus came from. They gathered all that together and they wrote this scripture. Every other New Testament that exists, I don't care what Bible you find, it's going to come from the Alexandrian text. The Alexandrian text, guess where Alexandria is? It's in Egypt. Now what does the Bible say that Egypt represents? The world and sin. Okay? Notice this. Alexandria, Egypt. If you go into Scripture, every time you find someone in the Bible, just go check this out. Every time someone goes into Egypt, the Bible always says they go down. They go down into Egypt. They go down into Egypt. They go down into Egypt. It's always, always down. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't want a Bible that comes from the world. I want a Bible that comes from God. There is one Bible that's been around for over 410 years and is completely unchanged. There's only one that cannot be copywritten throughout all Bibles that exist in the world. They're all copywritten except for one. God said He promised He would preserve His Word. And for the English language, guess what He said? You know what? I got one. And for 410 years, it has not been changed. And you know what? It's still the most popular book in the world. It says there, Psalm 12, 7, preserved from this generation forever. Remember, Satan is working very hard to pass his counterfeits as truth. Always, always, always. You go by in these Bibles, they all say Holy Bible on them. Holy Bible. But based upon our story and based upon our understanding, how can there be more than one? There can't. If all the words are preserved. So the devil contradicts God's word 
He lies through false teaching, distorted translations, and then lastly, through private interpretation. Private interpretation. Second Peter, verses one, uh, Second Peter 1, verses 19 through 21 says this, For we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Okay, this is a light. Until the day dawn, the day star arise, the day, uh, the day star rise in your hearts. Until the Lord comes back on this earth and the Lord Jesus Christ speaks, we have His word here. It is prophesied and it's given to us. A more sure word. Verse 20 says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. What that means, and I'll, I'll explain to you in a minute. Verse 21, For the prophecy came not of all, in not an old time, but the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Scripture is explained and taught by the Holy Spirit of God. What we find is the fact that there's two different things that can happen when someone receives Scripture. We can either expose what's there. What's set forth in the Scripture, we expose it and we find it through Scripture. That's called expository, expository preaching. That's what we do here. To the best of my ability, that's what I try to do every single week. But then there's private interpretation. What is private interpretation? What that means is now we're going to impose upon the text. I have something I want to talk about. I'm going to find scripture that makes me or shows me a way that I can prove a point. And what we find is the fact that I'm not supposed to come and impose my thoughts on the word. We're supposed to let the word expose itself to us. Because many times when we oppose, what we're doing is we're putting a meaning that's not actually scriptural. What's interesting is the fact that God actually defines his scripture and always supports it with additional scripture. It's awesome. But what happens is, and unfortunately, now this is a lot of times where you'll go and they'll take a portion of a scripture or someone will take a, just one scripture and then you'll sit and listen to a message that has no other references in it. It's a bunch of stories using human reasoning and psychology to teach you principles that all may be true from human reasoning, but they're not scripturally or biblically bound or, found, or based upon that foundation. So human wisdom. 2 Timothy 4 verses 3 through 4 says this, And for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, there's only one truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Made up stories. And I'd like to tell you that that is the minority of preaching in the world, but unfortunately that's the majority. It is very hard to find something that's going to teach actual truth and have it scripturally bound. This is why we use so much scripture. Some people are like, man, oh man, we've had, we had a message a couple weeks ago. There was 93 references in that one message. My wife's like, man, I was like, we'll just don't, don't tell anybody the numbers. We'll just roll on and hope they don't notice. <laughs> but what happens here is bottom line is we're, we want our faith to be established not in, the, not in what I say, but what the Word says. We want to be established in the Word of God, doing what God says. So there is no confusion because that's where the devil loves to be. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says this, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Our faith must be grounded in the Word of God, in the truth of God's Word and God's words. A lie, again, only has power when we believe it. That's important for us to remember. And when it comes to biblical doctrine, the Bible explains it this way. It says it's either truth or it's error. 1 John 4, 6 is this, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. He says, Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the first danger of following uh, was establishing truth, uh, was establishing truth in it. The next danger of following a lie is taking action based upon it. So first of all, believing it. Then second of all, taking action now, the soldiers, they have this new revelation from Rahab. They've just been told, oh my goodness gracious, they've left. Now, what's interesting, if you go through study, this is probably a group of around 50 men is kind of what we can assume. Now, based on the fact that Jericho's in very dire straits, they may have sent even more people than that. So there's this large group of soldiers that are out hunting these men. And we think about these guys, what they're doing is they're going to head out towards the border. Now, what's interesting also to realize the fact that Rahab doesn't tell them which way to go. She didn't say go to the Jordan. She just said... They went out. So what happens is they know where the Israelites are. They know they're in the promised land. Understand, they're camped not too far away. They probably had reports. They know exactly where they're at. So when they go out on their hunt, they actually go there to the Jordan River. Then it says they go to the fords. A ford is nothing more than a shallow area we can cross a river. So we find here is this is a, a desperate measure from a desperate people who are excited about what's going on, but frightened, man. 
Now, I want you to think about it. I was thinking about this if I was one of those soldiers. <laughs> and I was thinking about going to find those spies. Having 40 years of this knowledge of the fear of God put in them, knowing the power of these people that are on the horizon and the power of their God that parted the Red Sea, that brought the plagues, that wiped out the kings outside the borders, there's probably part of them that's like, we want to find the spies. And part of them's like, I don't know if we want to find these spies. I'm not sure. I thought about it like this. If, if you were in your room, your bedroom, and I said, hey, there's a poisonous spider in your room, or a poisonous snake, let's say, or spider, whichever you choose, you're going to look for it. Part of you wants to find it, but doesn't part of you really hope you don't find it, right? <laughs> you don't want to lift a pillow and be like, sure! You're like, man, I hope it's just gone. So probably that's the way these guys are, man. They're out searching for these men. But bottom line is they are in a situation where, you know what? They're going to be fearful, but at the same time, they're zealous. They are committed to what they've been told. They're not going to turn from the lie. They're not going to question it. They're going to be committed to it all the way to the end. Having believed Rahab... And being committed to a deception will ultimately be their destruction. As Joshua told us in Joshua 6, 17, he told us that, listen, in this verse it says, And the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are, that, are, that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Which brings us to the last danger. And this is, the, this is a dedication. Okay. So first of all, we believe it. Then we take action upon it. And the last one is being dedicated to the lie unwilling to hear anything else. So what we see here is the fact that uh, we'll see the fact that nowhere in, the, in these are these people uh, instead of seeking God, okay, so they know where God's people are. They know the fear of the Lord. Now, over time, the Israelites absorbed other people. They absorbed strangers, as they're called in Scripture. We go all the way back into Exodus chapter number 12, I believe. Exodus 12, what happens is God's describing to them and telling them about how they're going to keep the Passover. He says, you'll do all these things, but make sure no strangers do it. Because there are people amongst the Israelites that are not Israelites. They'll accept them in. If you have a fear of the Lord, they were willing to gather you into the people. So these men, when they go, they could say, you know what? Hey, we know what's on the horizon. We could cross over the forge right here. We could go find the Israelites, and we could just fall down before them and surrender, and we could be safe. But they don't. They stick to the plan. They follow their king, but they also follow the lie. They're committed to it. And what we find is like that we looked last week in that Matthew 7. Those that are committed to a lie, those that are committed to deception. We saw them standing before the Lord last week. Remember that? Whenever those people came before the Lord and they were religious, and they said, Lord, 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 Lord. They said, not everyone that saith, that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name? have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Were we not a perfect picture of religious perfection? Were we not committed? Were we not use your name every time we did these things? But the whole problem was they never had a relationship with God. And just what happens, these soldiers, as they come from Jericho, they believe Rahab, they believe the lie, and they take action upon it. And they remain loyal to it to the end, to their own destruction. And this is the issue just like the faith that people have in false teachings, in false religions, that divert people from the simple gospel message. It's amazing. I've sat down with people that are Catholic and had share, I've opened the Word of God to them from a Catholic Bible I have in my office and shown them the plan of salvation right there. And they go, how have I never seen that? It's been there the entire time. How come no one's ever shown that to me? Because what the devil wants to hide the truth. He wants people to fall for the lie. And what happens is people fall into, uh, into flesh-indulging religious ceremonies that make them feel godly in spite of their holiness. They can live a life that's completely ungodly, yet go and experience a ceremony and leave there going, Man, oh, I know God was shining down upon me. Or they get involved in something where they have a religious work that feeds their pride and makes them feel like they're something special. And Jesus said this in verse 23 and 723, And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There is only one way. There's only one way to become a son or daughter of God. It is not through a religious experience or anything like that. It's simply through faith in Him and Him alone. And what we find here is the fact that these dangers of following a lie, oh, they're dangerous. And there's lots and lots of people who fall for it. But there's another thing. There's the joy of following the truth. Of following the truth. And this we shift from the, from the soldiers. Now we shift to Rahab. And this is cool because listen to this. Joshua 2 verse 8 and 9. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. Okay, so listen, what's cool about this phrase 
It says, before they lay down. That means these guys are ready to rack out for the night. They're so comfortable. They're so not fearful of their situation. If they're in, a liter in the middle of a dangerous city, surrounded by enemies, they're going to go to sleep. They're like, well, you know, let's just get, catch, catch a little shut-eye. Not tonight, because Rahab's excited. She's going to come up and wake him up. And she said unto the, unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. I want you to notice she says, I know. I know. I don't believe. I don't hope. I know. She's excited because guess what? She has the truth. She has the truth. I know the truth. And see, with truth, what happens? The absence of, of the ab, ab, there's the absence of confusion. There's the presence of peace. So as opposed to being fearful of her future, instead of being caught up in confusion, she has peace in this moment. So when she's making these decisions and she's doing these things that sound so crazy and we think about all that's going on, she's got peace because she goes, look, I know the truth. I know the truth. And guess what? Everybody else does too because the whole city's scared. The reason I hid you, the reason I defended you is because I have faith in the one true God. I believe He is who He says He is. Hebrews 11.31, we saw it last week. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. She wasn't fearful. She wasn't ready to receive them. She trusted in God. Rahab allowed her fear to shift from fear to saving faith. And what we find is most people, and just like the majority, almost everybody in Jericho, they don't allow their fear to become faith. They allow their fear to cause them to face destruction. And the one that we know about this fear is the fact that she believed in God. And it's this thing. It's another thing altogether. So it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing altogether to have faith in God. And this is an important differentiating, a differentiating factor. Because there's a lot of people out there that believe in God. There's a lot of people that know about God. There's a lot of people that experience things that they would consider to be godly that are still lost. There are a large number of folks out there that are going to fall in that group that Matthew, in Matthew 7 group. But when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, listen to this in Matthew 8. We're going to go 23 through 24 and then 28 through 32. Jesus speaking to a group of Pharisees, he says this, And he said unto them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, when it says lifted up, it means talking about the crucifixion. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Remember we talked about last week in the book of James, the fact that what is happening is their faith is validated by their works. He says, look, if you truly are saved, it's going to be evident in who you are. There's people that you're going to meet that are going to claim salvation. But we need to look at their life. The Bible says you become born again. You become a new creature, meaning the old creature that's there, that creature's changed. It now has a new way of thinking. It has a new attitude. It has a new way of speaking. It has a new way of living its life. How many of us have seen people that got saved and, man, there was a dramatic change? Yeah. Man, we just, boom, absolutely. Some of us, maybe that's us. But there's other people who claim to be saved. And we've known them for years, but there's never been a change. They look exactly like they used to. What happens is many times people have the title, but they don't have the, the true change within their hearts. Then he says here, the last verse, 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And as we hear that today, do we know that truth, that saving truth, to where we know what we know what we know? First John, or in John 14, verses 1 through 6, let not your heart be troubled. B says, ye believe in God, believe also in me. I, it says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If there were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know. And the way, ye know. This is cool. He says, ye know. This is a personal thing. He knows this personally. He says, you know it personally. Listen, Thomas say it like this. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus says, you know the way, because guess what? I am, I am the way. 
<laughs> you know it because I, you know me. And if you know me, guess what? You know the way, brother. Amen. Jesus said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is only one truth. But there are countless deceptions. We are inundated with them every single day. The devil is constantly working to try to affect our faith. God says, I've given you one truth. Hold on to it. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? Ever so slightly changing the wording. Ever so slightly changing the concept. And we can say, well, it's mostly true. It's 99% true. Well, if it's 99% true, guess what? It's still false. There is no partial truth. It is either true or it is not. God is a God of black or white. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Which one are we putting our trust in? Which one are we taking action upon? Which one are we dedicated to? We have to search what we're holding on to. We have to examine, am I believing a lie or am I believing the truth? How do I know if I'm believing the truth? Substantiate it in the word of God. That is the only way. Because let me tell you, the devil's a lot smarter than we are. Oh, yeah. oh let me tell you. Talk about seductive. Talk about crafty. Talk about the ability to twist something. How many of you have ever experienced somebody who was just an amazing liar? Yeah. I mean, dude, they just, you were just done. You're like, man, there's no doubt. I know he's telling the truth. Later on, you're like, I just didn't, I just didn't even see that coming. <laughs> How did that happen? Because there's people that are that good. He's the father of liars, man. He invented it. And guess what? He can change his appearance. The Bible says he can appear as an angel, as an angel of light. Something beautiful. A person that is just an incredible image of love and light and goodness. A minister of righteousness, it says. Yet inwardly is a ravening wolf. We must be careful. How do we filter out what's true and what's not? Always go back to the Word. God's given us the tool. He's given us the thing, the one we can recognize, the enemy. We can see him for who he is. We see his tactics. He does it always the same way. It is like he comes up with new ways. He just does the same thing. He adapts to culture, but guess what? It's always the exact same tactics, and ultimately it always goes back to this, an attack on God's Word. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Always, 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 always. So we want to make sure we are in God's Word and we're following it to the letter. If we're trusting anything outside of Jesus Christ and Him alone, we are going to face destruction. This is either going to be through our life falling apart as a Christian because we're trusting in the wrong things, or it's literally through destruction where we're going to be separated from God. We're not saved because we believe in God or because we go to church or we have a religious family or we have experiences. It's not based upon the works that we do. None of those things. It is solely by faith in Christ. Jesus is His, his death. It's His burial. It's his, it's his resurrection. It's the simple gospel message. And what happens is humanity complicates it, not because we came up with the idea to complicate it, but because Satan introduced those ideas. And as he introduces them, people take hold and they go, well, that makes sense. And when I apply human reasoning to what I just heard in that man said, well, that makes good sense because that's the way I think. What does the Bible say about human reasoning? It says it's lasciviousness. It says it's, 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 uh, it's godless. It says that it is seducing. It warns us of the truth or the knowledge of this world. It's one thing to know about salvation and another one to be saved. There's one thing to be in confusion and another to be in peace. God's Word brings peace. Anything that's outside of God's Word, what will it ultimately do? Confusion. You find yourself in confusion, you're not in the Word where you need to be. If you're experiencing confusion and you want to come down to a place of peace, go to God. Trust the Lord. Pray. Get on your knees. Fall before the Lord and let His Word speak to your heart. Be open to it. Don't come with a preconceived notion like that private interpretation. Well, I know this to be true. But we don't know it because if it's in the Bible. We know it because someone told us it was true. And we've lived it for many, many years. Or we've seen it in other people's lives. Irrelevant. I don't care how good it looks. If it doesn't line up with what God's Word says, it is not truth. There is one truth. So what we find is the fact that the difference between heaven and hell is deception versus truth. It's that simple. It's a simple concept. Well, the fact is, spiritual victory and freedom are found in our acceptance and surrender to the truth of God's Word. Yes. Okay? If we surrender to God's Word, and you're struggling right now, whatever walk you may be trying to walk with God, and you've got this issue that you're struggling with in your flesh, it is not by the power of your will that you will overcome it. It is not through your religiosity that you will overcome it. It is not within you to beat it. 
You will not. You might hold it down by the power of your will. You may hold it down and keep it under under wraps for years. You got people, uh, I talked to a man on the phone who said, man, I got saved 14 years ago. Man, I've been alcohol free for 13 years, but the last year I've just fallen and I'm under such unbelievable weight. You can't understand what I'm going through. I'm losing everything. I've destroyed my life and I have no control. And I just told him, I said, look, it's because you're trying to do it in your flesh. You cannot do it in you. But let me tell you, God can. God can bring victory to any situation, but it's only if you let Him fight the battle. We want to go out and fight the battle on our own, and we want God to back us up. No. Get behind God and let Him go fight the battle, and you're just, I'm just holding the stuff. Go out and get Him, Lord. Yeah. Right? That's got to be the way it is. That's surrendering us, surrendering our will, surrendering our desire to take charge. God's saying, hey, you know what? I got this. Let me win the battle for you. In fact, it's already won. Our problem is the fact that we try to take it upon ourselves. And it's when we surrender to the Lord. It's when we surrender to God's truth. And we allow the Word of God to speak in us. And then as it works in us, and as we start to see its result come out, well, then your life starts to speak to the world around you. And suddenly people go, you know what? Man, look at the result of truth in their life. Wow. But will the deceiver still come? Every day. Every day. He'll talk to your flesh. He'll whisper in your ear. He'll bring people in your path. And all you have to do is go, you know what? I'm going to stand on the truth. The Bible says that we found ourselves upon the rock. And Jesus told us who the rock was. It's him. He says, I am the rock. Don't build upon shifting sand. Because though the sand feels hard when you do this to it, when you do this to it, you go right through it. It can trick you. It can feel solid, but it's not. We know whenever the waves, when the water hits against it and the winds blow, the Bible says great, the great was the fall of it. And we build our life upon that shifting sand. It is just a matter of time before you face destruction. So God says, look, truth. Deception's always going to be a part of this life. The devil's not going to give up, man, until he is chained and thrown into the ground for, thrown in the pit for a thousand years and eventually tossed into the lake of fire. But every time he has a chance, he's going to do his best to introduce deception. So we go back to the truth. We found ourselves on Him. And we hold on to that truth, no matter what our reality says around us. That's why He says you walk by faith and not by sight. You walk based upon the Word of God that you're standing on and the truth that God promised you. Because people go, I don't feel saved. Irrelevant. I don't care if you feel saved. I didn't feel saved. I mean, I got saved. I had an emotional experience. Yes. But it's not salvation. It's not an emotional thing. It's not something that happens to us. It's something that we know because God tells us. He gives us a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can there be days whenever I may not feel saved? Yep. Can we fall into sin and feel like we're unworthy of God? Yep. Can we be saved and still feel as if we're far from Him? Yep. But what does God say? Come back to me. Cast your care upon me, for I careth for you. Let me carry the weight for you. Let me fight the battle for you. And guess what? If you'll commit, you'll come to me, and you'll forgive, you'll ask for forgiveness. Guess what? I'm faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Not only will I restore you and gather you back into my arms and kiss on you and clean you up and make you look pretty, but you know what? You know, I'm going to forget all of it. And not only will I forgive it, but I'll forget it. And then when you bring it up the next day, I'm going to be like, what? How good is God? And this all goes back to this. Stand on the truth. And when we stand on the truth, deception does not have power. Because remember, a lie only has influence when we choose to believe it. We believe the Word of God. And everything else says, try the spirits that they be of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, God, for giving us uh, the Word. Thank you. I know this was a difficult message to hear. I could see it on people's faces. Uh, Lord, yet uh, I know you told me to, to give it. And, Lord, I did the best of my ability to share what it is you, you laid upon my heart. And, Lord, I pray that you'll help us, God, to hear it. Lord, have ears to hear. Uh, Lord, that it might be something that will help us. Lord, because we're all going to face adversity in some form or fashion. We're all going to face deception in some form or fashion. Uh, the devil does not take a break, and he is merciless. So Lord, as it comes, I pray that you help us. Help us to hold on to what we know to be true, which is you are on the throne, that you gave us your word. It is unchanging. It has been preserved for humanity. And Lord, help us to hold on to that, that we walk by faith 
and not by sight. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I've got a doubt of where I stand with God. In just a moment, I'm going to help you to find the truth and that truth that will set you free. God, thank you for what you're doing. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I've been struggling. I have an issue in my life. I have something, a besetting sin that has weighed on me. A fear, perhaps, that I've been struggling with. A temptation that's been weighing on me. But Lord, I want to I give it to God. I want to walk away from this weight that's been laid upon me. I want to see it for what it is. And I want to trust in God. Let's pray that the Lord will help you to take it to Him. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Trust in His power. He will set you free. Make that choice. Decide to surrender it. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know where I stand with the Lord. I don't know if I'm even saved. I don't know. I'm struggling right now. I'm in the midst of sin. And I need to make things right. I don't even know if I'm saved. If you've ever received Christ as your Savior, if you've ever truly trusted Him, not a ceremony, not a prayer, but you know your heart was broken before the Lord and you fell before Him and you called out for salvation and you know He saved you. If that ever happened, you are still saved. Nothing can take that away from you. But if that's never happened to you and you go, you know what? I guess I've always been saved. I don't remember that time. There's a chance that you're not saved. It is not just a matter of a choice. It is a matter of surrender. We surrender to the call of God. And if God's calling your heart today, all you have to do is surrender. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. This is not going to be a magic prayer or a ceremony of any sorts. This is a matter of your heart speaking to Him. And as He draws you, all you need to do is respond. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm giving you an opportunity to pray. If you're online and you're watching this recorded, don't need anybody. You don't need me. This is between you and the Lord. So as we bow our heads today, I pray that you'll help uh, that uh, the Lord will help you to receive Him. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind, Dear Lord, I, I know that I'm a, I'm a sinner, Lord, and I'm so sorry for my sin. I know and I understand that you love me. I can't believe it, but I believe you do love me and that you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I'm asking you right now, in the very best way I know how, to come into my life to forgive me of my sin and to save my soul. Lord, I just want to thank you for saving me. Lord, thank you for being my Savior, my Lord, my King, and Lord, letting me be a part of the family of God. Lord, I'll see you in heaven one day. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.